essentially it's about structuring your ideas, understanding your audience and making your arguments really compelling. So I'd recommend um, Barbara Minto's book to everyone. Um, the, the build for me on that has always been um, this sort of concept of, um, of logos, ethos, pathos. Mm. So um, in terms of the way that people present, the, the ones who are most memorable have um, you know, impeccable logic and brilliantly structured arguments. So that's the logos piece. Um, ethos is about the, if literally it means ethics, but the, um, the strength of your character and how believable and trustworthy you are. So that's the ethos piece. So logos, ethos. And then the, the final piece of that is pathos, which is, is passion, right? So bringing through, don't be afraid to show that you're passionate about what you're talking about in your, in your working life. G'day guys, coming up on the show today is Danny Bowron. Danny is the Senior Marketing Strategist at Deakin University. Danny's had an extraordinary career so far with experience in some incredible organizations inside and outside of sports such as Octagon, Deloitte, Gemba, Nielsen as well as Golf Australia and now our beloved Deakin University. We touch on his journey into sports, some of his closing door moments, the ins and outs of the Sportsgrad and Deakin partnership, how to think like a consultant and what it's like to move to Australia from overseas for opportunities in sport. As the mastermind behind the Deakin and Sportsgrad partnership, we thought it's fitting to have Danny on the podcast on his final day at Deakin as he departs to explore opportunities overseas. Plus, in huge news, Ruse has a special announcement he's been dying to share for weeks. And I can also confirm there are tears in this episode in one of the rawest pod moments in our 235 episodes to date. So let's go. I started volunteering. It's all about who you know in sport. Am I going to be calling the last 10 seconds of the grand final? You can connect with the interviewer. The hand goes up when they've got to make a decision. Having a network is one of the most important things you can do. I didn't necessarily follow my passion. I followed my curiosity. Once you've worked in sport, there's no going back. And then lo and behold, before I left, I got offered two. Hello and welcome to the Sports Grad Podcast, the ultimate guide to make it in the sports industry. I am Ryan Walker and joining me in the studio is the nomadic Reuben Williams. We are two mates who met at Cricket Australia and each week we learn how people made it in the sports industry, tease out their career decisions, their work habits, skills and everything they do that makes them great. All so you can learn how to get in, get promoted and get thriving in the sports industry. Rubes, how are you, mate? G'day, Ryan. I'm doing very well. Thank you. It's a pleasure to always be doing this pod with you. And a uh, sensational episode with Danny. So Outstanding one of, episode. One of the great people in sport. Awesome to chat with him. Yeah. Uh, now, I mentioned at the top of the show, you've got a special announcement. Yes. E- everyone currently listening is just on the edge of their edge of their seat. Yeah, yeah. Everyone who's in the car or the gym is hanging on to their barbells <laughs> or hanging on to their steering wheel. Uh, I do have some news. Something that's been in the works for a while is uh, I'm going traveling. I'm going overseas for about five or six months this year from the 30th of May I take off. And uh, I'm going to be traveling through a bit of Asia and a bit of Europe and, um, yeah, just exploring the world whilst also working on the laptop. So it's going to be a bit of a change of pace for us. Um, We'll be back to our kind of COVID routine where we did the first 150 episodes from our bedroom yeah kind of recording after hours whilst trying to work full-time at cricket australia and that sort of thing so it's gonna be a bit of a test for us but <clears throat> we've uh 
yeah, our roots were online. So we're kind of going back to that a bit. And um, But then at the same time, it's a chance to go and see some sport overseas, see some podcast guests overseas. Mm. I've been chatting with a few people to, um, uh, you know, say hello, catch up, um, do some tours of some different players. So it'll be cool. And then hopefully at the same time, use the opportunity to take people inside a few different sporting events around the world. So I've got my eyes on uh, the Lord's Test Match at the Ashes. Got my tickets today is one and two. I uh, got a combination book for the Tour de France as well, and we'll, we'll see what else comes up. But um, Right up your alley. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Brilliant. But um, now one of one of the things that I've always wanted to do ever since the start of sports grad was um, to, to live and, and work traveling around the world. And um, I thought better to do it earlier rather than later before uh, things get big. <laughs> so, yeah, before you settle down. Yeah, exactly right, <laughs> exactly. Before it becomes too hard to do all that stuff. Yeah. So... Yeah, taking the opportunity this year to to go travelling and and uh, and work on the laptop at the same time. It's the start of the the truly global podcast. Mm. Think about the uh, the guests. We might need to bring back the uh, the guest, the dream guest challenge. Yes, perhaps. yeah. We can, I can literally go and physically hunt them down yeah. if we need be. <laughs> Knock on the door. Yeah, that's it. So um, now there's there's a couple of people in the UK who I'm really keen to chat to when I want to get over there and more broadly Europe. Um, but uh, at the same time, if you are in the UK, uh, I am planning at holding a London meetup just around the time of the, the Lord's Ashes. So look out for that one. Uh, but if you are in London, you know someone in London, or if you're in Europe or know anybody over there, let me know. Uh, I'm always happy to catch up mm. um, and love just being able to bounce around and meet meet different people. Absolutely. And the um, I guess the annual pilgrimage of everyone in Australia who goes <laughs> to Europe in June, July, anyone who's at uni right now, I suppose that's the uh, the thing to do. Well, it was in our day. I'm assuming it is now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, let well, Rubes know. I'll, yeah, if you're going to be over there too, I think <laughs> Acacia, one of our staffers, is going to be over there too. So yeah. she's she's all over it too. But um, If anyone's wanting to do a Croatia sale, just let you know. Yeah, yep, <laughs> yep. We'll take the pot and sale Croatia. That'd be great too. <laughs> but... Um, now, one of the uh, one of the great experiences I had during university was doing an internship with Australian University Sport, and they sent me to a conference in Montpellier in 2016. And at that conference, I met 50 young people from 50 different countries. And then in 2018, I did a round the world trip, and went and visited about 10 or 12 of them in their different countries. So that kind of sparked the. Uh, ambition of wanting to just travel the world and meet people who you're already connected mm. with over there. And that's, you know, part of the the dream for the sports grad community too, yeah. to create this global network where you can bounce around and, and meet different people. So had a bit of a test run at the back end of last year and start of this year at the FIFA World Cup and in India and um, was working out of a very random bedroom <laughs> in, in Qatar during the, during the World Cup. I think we did a podcast from there yeah. and and then uh, was working during an Indian wedding in the uh, in the forests of Kerala. <laughs> so, as rogue uh, as it can get. <laughs> yeah, there was. I was in a house of about fourteen people whilst their eldest son was trying to get married, and I was in their laundry trying to work away. They relabeled the laundry Ruben's office, and uh, my girlfriend said to me, "Ruben, if you can, if you can work remotely in the forests of Kerala during an Indian wedding, then yeah. you know." Some other parts of the world should be a breeze. <laughs> I reckon you're okay. Yeah. No, it's very exciting. And um, for those worried, nothing's changing. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, the lights are still on. Uh, it's all good at HQ. So mm. it's a very exciting time. I can't wait to see where you go. Mm. And um, some of the events you're going to get to is simply incredible. Mm. So 
The Discord might just get a few messages early in the morning. Yeah, the um the work share channel and the events channel might be might be going off as well. Yeah. So, <laughs> nah, very exciting. Um, all right, well, let's crack on. Uh, if you haven't already, follow us on LinkedIn. And if you want to connect with us and over 500 others working in sport, you can become a SportsGrad member today. So, Ruse, what is happening in our community at the moment? Oh, there's plenty going on. Plenty of wins, plenty of jobs, plenty of events coming up. Uh, Daniel Hughes has just got a volunteer position at the FIFA Women's World Cup. Those started mm. starting to come through, which is really exciting. Uh, Dalen Seekins has also just got a new role as the strategy data analyst at the North Melbourne Football Club. They're doing better than expected this year. Um, And Tim Beach at uh, Motorcycling New South Wales has just got a new role as well. Well done to you, Tim. Then some new jobs that have come up recently. If you're a graphic designer, Cricket New South Wales are on the lookout for for you. And uh, Cadinia Park Stadium, home of the Geelong Cats, they are on the hunt for a people, services and systems officer. So if you're down in Geelong or want to move down to Geelong, beautiful part of the world it is then um check out that job otherwise upcoming events we've just had our job fair that was a fantastic success next coming up is our speed networking night and then cormac rabble his podcast was very very popular Mm. i think a lot of people were really interested in how to work in events all around the world yeah and um He's coming back to join us for a Q&A. So if you want to hear from him, uh, jump into the SportsGrad community. But if you want to stay up to date with all the jobs, all the wins, all the events, subscribe to the SportsGrad newsletter. Head to sportsgrad.com.au forward slash newsletter and you won't miss out on a single thing. Brilliant. Yeah, Cormac was was big and I, I think the amount of places he's worked as well is probably the big attraction as well. Some outstanding organisations. So uh, looking forward to that one. Anyway, for the meantime, grab a pen, enjoy this chat with Danny Barron. There's a reason Deakin's sports management course attracts the greatest talent the nation has to offer. Because when you join the longest running sports management course in Australia, you'll gain access to unique opportunities with leading clubs and organisations. Their partnerships with the Geelong Footy Club, Deakin Melbourne Boomers and Nepal Victoria and multiple elite industry partners will open the door to exciting placement experiences that connect you with the best athletes, managers and administrators in sport. Help shape the future of the sports industry secure your part in the golden decade of sport. Danny, it's great to have you on the SportsGrad podcast. Welcome. Thanks for having me on the SportsGrad podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're one of the longest uh, fans of the show, so it's about time that we got you in. But today's a special day because it's your last day at Deakin, and we've never chatted to anybody who is literally on their last day of work. How are you <laughs> feeling right now? <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's a difficult one to answer. I'm, I think at any moment I'm pretty bad at working out how I'm actually feeling. <laughs> so um, this is no different right now. Uh, I'm definitely excited about what's to come, moving to Singapore, relocating there and, and sort of having another fresh start. But equally, I'm really going to miss Australia. I've been here 11 years. I've absolutely loved living and working here and working in the sports industry. It's been a really special time in my life. So I suppose it's mixed emotions, but um, with any new start, you sort of you have huge amounts of opportunity and, and freedom and flexibility in, in this case. So, really excited about that and and planning to sort of embrace the ambiguity, as they say. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a hard one to like know how to feel on your last day because I've I've had it as well, and it was you get all the 
the nice notes and the nice cards and you still kind of feel like you're a part of it and it doesn't sink in until like a, a week or two later we're like oh i haven't seen the same people that i work with every day for mm. a long time now <laughs> yeah it's one of those things I, th- I think that when you do leave somewhere um sometimes people say things to you that you, you didn't realize and maybe you've made them feel in ways that you you hadn't appreciated and mm. that's been incredibly rewarding over the last few days to to get some of the messages i've had from around the sports industry and it, it's been kind of um been kind of humbling and, and mm. uh, I've really in, enjoyed reading them and I'm grateful to everyone for, for sending them. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be nice if they came more often. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, <laughs> why, does, why do we always la- wait for the last day to say all the nice things? Like why not have yeah. a day once every six months where everyone shares that? Yeah. S- send me a card every now and again. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. They actually do that really well in the in the Deacon marketing team. They have a, um, a sort of a kudos channel um, on Microsoft Teams and mm. people are really encouraged to, to make um, yeah, make their feelings known about people who've done who've done great work, and that actually is a real culture builder. So yeah, I think there's something in that room. But mm. for me, at this point in time, it's just been <laughs> yeah, it's been a nice week on on that front. I'm, I'm very grateful for it. Beautiful. Nice. Um, before we kick on, honestly, how, how long have you been waiting for an invite onto the the show? <laughs> uh, yeah, about four and a half years. <laughs> <laughs> no, you didn't, you've not been going that long, have you? Um, no, I was actually quite terrified when when Ruben asked me. To be honest, I I'm really wanted to, to stay in the background, and it's been awesome to. Watch watch what you guys have been doing uh that's what's given me the joy and whether i'm on it or not is is no big deal to me hopefully some people will find some useful info from this from me i've had a pretty interesting and and slightly different um career in the sports industry across the uk and australia so yeah hopefully there's a few bits and bobs in here for people i think you're very modest danny so i think Mm. a lot of people are gonna get heaps of value from this but um yeah totally agree Mm. speaking of your career we've got a segment that we start with in every episode called quickfire questions Oh, is this uh, the one you haven't told me about? This is the one we haven't, told you, <laughs> haven't even told you about the new segment. Um, but basically, this is how we get to know you off the bat. It, quick and easy questions so people can understand where you've come from, what you do, and uh, some interesting things about you. So I'll start off. Uh, what was your first ever job? Uh, I was a trolley collector at Safeway Supermarket in Cromer in Norfolk in the UK. Uh, I also did some uh, work on the checkouts and, and stacked some shelves as well. Brilliant. Beautiful. Uh, and what's your favourite sporting moment? Oh, probably be a bit controversial. I can't remember what I wrote actually thinking about in the, in the prep for this. Uh, certainly as a TV viewer, um, Richie Benno just saying Jones and Bowden in, in <laughs> and England finally winning the Ashes after about 18 years of hurt and basically my entire childhood of getting thumped <laughs> by Australia. So that was that was certainly a moment. In terms of attendance um, in person, I've been a pretty passionate Geelong Cats fan for a, for a fair while now, and I got to go to every finals game during uh, last September. So. Being being there on a you know, sunny September afternoon, watching everyone celebrate, and having had probably an hour and a half to let it sink in that we'd finally won a premiership after all of those just desperately disappointing finals over over the previous years was was a pretty special moment. And yeah, really, really love, still love going to the MCG even now. My first ever day in Australia was actually at the MCG. Um, I'd left on Christmas Eve, arrived on Boxing Day and watched Verenda say we'd make 190 in a day wow. um, in a test match, which was pretty cool. So yeah, being um, being at any sporting occasion at the MCG is special, but yeah, when, when your team finally wins a flag, um, it's pretty cool. Would have made the, the Deacon and Geelong partnership all <laughs> that more special as well. So what, what is your favourite interview question to ask new candidates? I think it's probably a clarification question. So what you tend to find in interviews is that um, people tell stories of, of work that's been done 
uh, as a team and they talk about it in vague and general terms and, and actually getting to the the crux of what the individual has actually done and the contribution that, that they've made to, to the team or to the piece of work is is really important and, and it can it can trip people up because they've they've sort of co-opted themselves or slightly enhanced stories uh, in order to get to interview so I, I think it's important to be authentic in interviews and you know be honest about what you've um what you've really done and the contribution that, that you've made and and not to go too far on the on the story enhancement side of things which which can happen mm, yeah i can really find some people out and dig into what's, yeah. actually, what's <laughs> yeah. actually going on yeah um you're very smart man uh, you have come across very well read is there a particular book or podcast that you recommend to people that's helped you at work um my favorite uh podcast in, in this environment is unofficial partner um which is uh, richard gillis's uh, podcast it's run out of the uk but explores the business of sport i find it um really keeps me on my toes and helps me to stay in touch with some of the um i guess the challenges and uh the new developments in in the sport industry um and i, I like the way richard does his work as well he's he's pretty humble but he he knows his stuff as well and he, he sort of goes low status with people and actually sometimes uh, gets them to um trip themselves up i think uh, with with some of the some of the language that they use and and perhaps the, the lack of precision on, on occasion. It's a superb podcast and I'd, I'd really recommend that anybody that, that wants to work in the sports industry, whether you're interested in you know, participation or the broadcast side of things or um, you know, in, engaging fans, et cetera, it's kind of got all of those, those dimensions covered. So it's a, it's a great listen. Nice. Now, I know you hit off, is it six in golf? I know you're a hiker as well. Well, yeah, my golf handicap keeps going up. And yeah. well, I've actually, to the point that I've, I've pretty much stopped playing competitions because I'm right. so crap these days. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's probably still about six. But yeah, I was nice. off three for a, for a bunch of years when, wow. I, when I used to be able to play. Well, what I was going with that is whether you're involved in any grassroots sporting clubs, because I know you're very good at golf, whether you're working grassroots golf or how does that look for you? Um, yeah, my involvement with golf was, was mainly professional you know working for golf australia and i'm sure we'll, we'll come on to that but um when i first moved to melbourne i got involved in in park run which uh is one of uh, the best i think participation in grassroots sorry one of the best participation and in, in grassroots initiatives around the world um and, and sneakily probably has the best data set of any sports organization in the world as well mm. um whether it's being brilliantly used or not is probably a separate question, but it, it's an amazing um, program. It's so inclusive, uh, and I've so I've volunteered a bunch uh, at Albert Park um, Park Run and and also was run director on one occasion. I, I think I managed to drop all the finishing tokens and, and wasn't <laughs> wasn't asked to do it again. Um, but but we, the days when I was first in Melbourne, we were desperately trying to get to a hundred participants. That was our kind of big goal. Um, and now they're getting seven, eight hundred people at eight o'clock every Saturday morning. And you know, Scott and Joanne Watkins, who've who've done the work there, um, just absolute pillars of the community and amazing people who've, who've done a power of work there. So, yeah, if I remember doing a presentation at, at Gemba in in twenty thirteen, I think, talking about you know park run and, and trying to explain to people how amazing it is and how big I, I thought it was going to be. Um, and I'm not one for told you so's, but you know, it really has, um, it really has kicked on. It's a, it's a global phenomenon. It's, it's also bounced back really well from some difficult times during the pandemic. Mm, it is a phenomenal concept because mm. I know my, my mum's really into park run and she's got friends who will boast about their, uh, 
their uh, their shirt that's got 100 park runs on it or 250 park runs or some people who are trying to do the park run alphabet where they go to a a race location starting with every letter of the of the alphabet or a global park run tick off every continent like it's it's crazy what that community is is doing yeah park run tourism is is a real thing um and the probably the the best t-shirts are, are the people who've got the the volunteering um t-shirts with you know 25 50 volunteering occasions i think celebrating volunteerism is something that um park run does better than than pretty much any other sports organisation in in Australia, certainly, and probably probably around the world. So, yeah. Although it's a you know, as it's grown, my main frame of reference, Albert Park, as it's grown, it's become a much bigger um, operation. But the way that they um, effectively train a whole team of um, volunteers within a, a matter of minutes uh, between seven and eight o'clock on a, on a Saturday morning every week is is pretty impressive, and it's, it's actually worth getting getting Scott Watkins or who's the um, chair of Parkrun Australia you should, you should get him on mm. the pod actually Spot, uh, Scott's an amazing person he's done a brilliant job there awesome we'll he'd be listening we'll have so to chase him up yeah. he, he will be if I ask him <laughs> yeah. just, just let me know the time code so he doesn't have to listen to the rest <laughs> of it <laughs> <laughs> nice um, and if you had 30 minutes to pick someone's brain who would it be um, I guess I was, I was lucky enough to, to see him at John Kane Arena about two weeks ago so Barack Obama he's I think the world world misses his uh, his intellect and his his calm. Uh, he's someone I'd love to to spend half an hour um, picking his brains. I don't I don't think his presidency was flawless, but um, as a statesman, as a communicator, and as um, a campaigner, um, and someone whose whose values align with mine, um, he was uh, he was and remains an inspiration. And I would yeah it would be an amazing thing to spend some time with him. Nice. Great answer. Uh, funnily enough, I had coffee this morning with the venue manager of John Kane Arena who was putting on the Obama event and uh, he was telling me some incredible stories which might actually be good to get Kerry back on to, uh, to yeah. tell them. But um, he did walk away with a, a basketball signed by Obama which now sits in the Melbourne Olympic Park's office. So wow. he said the whole thing was you know a career highlight for him too so absolutely yeah mm. it, it was it was quite i might reflect on it a bit in a, in a later answer it was very interesting listening to him but it, it was very it was very controlled the the um the actual session um julie bishop did a great job of, of facilitating but it was um it probably lacked a little bit of the um the passion that you see from him when he's sort of in campaign mode or really mm. focused on um, you know, domestic issues or, or grappling with some of the challenges over there, but it was it was um, it was still enlightening to to see him in person, and it's probably the only time I ever will. So I'm really glad I took the opportunity. Mm -hmm. Sounds like he's mellowed out in his old age. Yeah. <laughs> he, he certainly seemed very mellow, but um, I suspect that as we lead into 2024, some of that mellowness might um, might dissipate, and he yeah. might be back into fired up, ready to go mode. Yeah, fair enough. Which we love. <laughs> All right, let's crack into your career now. Um, can you walk us through some of the, you know, the series of qualifications and jobs, experiences that have led you to be the senior marketing strategist at Deakin Uni? Yeah, um, I guess when I used to get asked this question, or it feels very recent, I would be worried about trying to pad it out. Whereas I kind of now look at it and realise that I'm sort of more than two decades into my career, and you know, 15 of those have been in and around the sports industry. So um, I'll, I'll try and keep it brief. But um, <laughs> um, so my, my uni life was was in St Andrews in Scotland, which is an incredible place 
to to go and um, some of my lifelong friends are from there and I studied management so essentially a, a business degree um, I have a first class honours degree from there so I'm, I'm not sure what that says about 18 to 21 year old Danny but I can <laughs> promise you I did have some fun as well um, I you know I played uh, first team football there and um, and played second team golf and and just love the place it's still one of the most special places in my life and I, and I love going back um, my initial foray into into professional life was with PA Consulting, um, primarily as a as a management consultant, and I'm I'm incredibly grateful for that grounding. It was uh, the training that we received, you know, as graduates was incredible. Um, learning to work on lots of different projects, deal with different clients and stakeholders, um, deal with ambiguity, be a problem solver, um, communicate effectively in you know in writing and in person those skills i i hope have stayed with me um i'm not sure they've all survived the pandemic but they, they were certainly in, incredible um as a grounding for a career you know i worked on all sorts of projects there from deregulating the electricity market in in singapore i worked for the nhs in scotland new south wales health um I worked for, for bp and bt and, and pfizer it's a whole bunch of different clients worked on um uh, a training program for, for, that I delivered to, to 500 people in the Department of Health in in the UK, and worked on a, a really significant project in the um, sort of in and around the criminal justice system in in the UK, which was about um, how the system as a whole dealt with problem drug users. So, so that meant working across prisons, courts, police, probation, and then also um, drug treatment providers. It was really complicated and, um, and emotive areas and, and very difficult to, to join up the way that different organizations worked and it really, again, provided me with amazing grounding for, for my future career. Um, I guess from a sport industry perspective, my transition happened uh, when I went on sabbatical from PA. So I'd, I'd had I'd been doing really well. I had a, um, I'd had a few promotions and w- was kind of on the on the treadmill, I suppose, as a as a management consultant and and you know starting to get those conversations around you know what what you might achieve in this organisation and where you might get to. Um, but I'd probably always had this sense of really wanting to work in sport, and I didn't really know honestly how to do that. So, um, for those of you that are listening who are, who are 21, I still didn't know when I was was, was sort of 25, 26. Um, how to get into the sports industry, and, and I ended up applying to to Octagon, um, the sport and entertainment um, agency, uh, the UK business there, for an account manager role. And wonderfully led by Joel Seymour Hyde, who you introduced us to, who yeah. sits back in episode ninety nine, I believe. So um, good, that's good. Is where it all comes from. That's encyclopedic knowledge, <laughs> if ever I heard. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was probably going to mention that anyway. Joel, um, in in a way, is kind of one of my little mini claims to fame in the fact that um, my colleague Matt Hales and I recruited Joel, and Joel's you know a genuine industry leader in, in sport and a, and a stand up bloke to boot. So. Yeah, I kind of have a, a weird sense of um, of pride at seeing what Joel's doing and the impact he's having on the industry, and he's a thought leader and and really well, very very well regarded in in the industry. So, yeah, he was he was part of um, or that recruitment, if you like, was part of the work that I ended up doing. So, I wasn't um, I wasn't offered the account manager role. I was offered a a role that was um, titled business development director, but was was really a, um, a kind of an offsider to the CEO type role. Um, and the, the agency at the time wasn't doing particularly well financially and, and it was kind of a like a mini business turnaround. So we worked on all of the foundational stuff for the agency. So uh, vision, values, um, 
stretch goals, uh, embedding business development disciplines, um, embedding insights and, and thought leadership and, and, and marketing disciplines into the organization and putting the building blocks in place to enable it to ultimately what happened was the, the GFC came and it, it, the organization found its way through that successfully. And and with Joel and, and others sort of at the helm over the last sort of 10 or 15 years, it's it's in rude health these days. So whilst I wouldn't claim too much um, credit for any of that, I think some of the work that we did was, was really important and, and foundational. So my, my next step from um, a significant step in the sports industry was working for um, Deloitte UK on its London 2012 Olympic and Paralympic Games sponsorship program. Um, Deloitte recently actually was announced as um, a top partner, so a partner of um, the IOC um, and the IPC, uh, 10 years or so on from the work that, that we were doing for the UK firm. So. I guess in those days, um, the UK firm was in its early days of understanding the value of um, being the official professional services provider to an Olympic and Paralympic Games. And just to give you an idea of what that means, and <laughs> this is probably a podcast in, it, in itself, but I'll, I'll do the quick version. So 750,000 head hours of Deloitte people's time contributed to the delivery of the London 2012 Olympic and Paralympic Games. So. Uh, if ever anybody talks to you about valuing kind in sponsorship, that's a, about as big and um, <laughs> important as it gets. And, wow. and, and some incredible expertise uh, that was provided. I remember one, receiving a, um, my colleague Mel receiving a, a job description for a hostile vehicle mitigation specialist and not having a clue what that meant. Um, and, and let alone thinking that we might have any in the Deloitte UK firm. And we got four applications. Um, it's about stopping um, vehicles loaded with bombs driving into a major event in, in case you, in case you yeah. wondered what the, the actual words meant. But it's, um, yeah, the amount of people's time and the quality of work that was done by uh, the UK firm of Deloitte on, on those games was was awesome. But but our job was on the other side of it as, as the sponsorship activation team. And we did it all in-house. Um, and we had four pillars, um, our people, which was about em employee engagement and internal communications, uh, our clients, which was about telling the stories of all the work we were doing um, to our clients as you, almost like the ultimate case study of, of, um, of Deloitte's work. Um, our community, which was primarily focused on um, helping people from grassroots through to um, elite performance in, um, in Paralympic sport and parasport. Uh, and then our firm, which was about the, the sort of PR and, and external facing storytelling um, around the, um, the UK firm's involvement with the games. So we had a very small team, but a brilliant team and a, a bunch of people who've gone on to to great things since. And, and Annabelle Rake, who was the sponsorship director at the time, is, is the global head of Deloitte's um, program with the Olympic and Paralympic uh, Games globally now. So it, it was a superb team and, and yeah, we had very little agency support, worked hard and um, was an awesome time of my life. <laughs> um, but it, it sort of became a, um, it, it led into one of the biggest sort of sliding doors moments for me, I suppose. I had, had the opportunity either to to stay with Deloitte and in the UK and, and see that through and be there at games time and see the culmination of all the work that we'd done. Or they just offered me a transfer to the Australian firm, <laughs> so it w which was not in a sport role, but it was a, in a, a more general um, national marketing role for, for Deloitte. So it was a, it was a difficult decision to make. Um, I, I don't regret for, for one second deciding to come to Australia and, and not quite being able to see all of our work come to fruition. Um, my one regret is uh, I wish I'd uh, I, I wish I'd negotiated um, 
going back to the UK for games time. And with hindsight, I was a little bit too grateful, I think, for the opportunity. Coming to yeah. Australia and living and working had been something I'd always wanted to do. Um, and I wasn't really prepared in any way to, to put that at risk. So mm. just sort of nodded and smiled and signed yeah. everything and said yes and thought well, it would be a bad look to say, yeah. oh, by the way, can I go back to the UK in July and mm. be part yeah. of the Games Time team or, or even just to see it and experience it for myself. So um, I also probably didn't realise at the time how much of a high watermark for the UK in general those games were. It's, it's not, <laughs> not been an amazing story since then. Um, so <laughs> I do wish I'd gone back, but um, there's no point looking backwards. And um, you know, I've had a, an amazing sort of life and, and professional set of experiences in, in Australia since then, which, which started with Deloitte, but then um, relatively quickly um, went, to, um, went to work for Gemba uh, and probably a good example of some of the, the things that, you talk about on this podcast regularly, which was, you know, in, in some ways that came about th because I'd made the effort to reach out to contacts and to m let Rob know that I was Rob Mills know that I was moving to Australia, and so mm. when a role came up, I got the opportunity to apply for it and, and was successful. So that that next period of probably three years of my career was very sort of sponsorship strategy focused. So mm. I took a lot of the work that I'd done with Deloitte in the UK and, and worked with a number of big brands. Uh, in Australia, helping them to to be really clear about why they were investing in sport and entertainment, um, i.e., what the purpose was, um, helping them to to select the right um, sponsorship um, properties or assets, depending on your your preferred language, um, and then working on bringing those to life and 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 measuring the impact of them. So that included a lot of work with Gemba with um, organisations like Mondelez International, Puma, NAB, ANZ, Origin and a bunch of others, um, and then Tal, the insurance uh, company uh, in-house there for, for a while as well, before I transitioned on to, to Nielsen Sports, um, where my, sh my focus kind of shifted more to working for sports organizations rather than for brands. I worked on a lot of um, participation and commercial-related projects, uh, worked on a really important foundational project for the Australian Sports Commission uh, around women in sport and the opportunity there, which was sort of back in 2014-15, and it's, it's pretty cool to see how the world's changed since then, but also worked um, with Netball Australia, Touch Football Australia, Golf Australia, um, via the Australian Golf Industry Council, where we won some work and ultimately was was offered the, the opportunity to be Golf Australia's first marketing director in in 2016 um and that that role was really focused on participation and gender equity initiatives initiatives sorry um so worked on on my golf the junior program um trying to i guess align the industry around a national junior program get as many clubs and facilities on board as possible and and help them so that's the sort of almost like the b2b side of things and then also help them with the the consumer marketing um side of things as well so we managed to double participation in, in that program during my time there and um and i played a really significant role in in shaping and, and launching vision 2025 which is um the golf industry's approach to um, transforming the sport for, for women and girls and for most people listening will um, have a certain set of perceptions around golf as a sport and a lot of them were probably right at the time and, and some of them will still be true but um, it is on a good path and I'm really proud of the, the part that, that I played in that um, all that said without um, Shiloh Curtis coming on board and as the female engagement um, 
senior manager and, and driving that agenda, operationalizing that vision, identifying heroes and case studies and, and working directly with clubs and facilities and, and the, the, the state sporting organizations. Um, it, it would have just been words on a page. So was proud to, to launch it and to, and to play such an you know, important part in developing it. But um, you know, the hard yards were, were done by, by Shiloh and, and others that have, have followed her. Um, and the last but not least, that sort of brings us to to the to the modern the modern day Danny or the, <laughs> the current time or whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, I've been at Deakin for a, about four and a half years. Um, it's been a great opportunity to extend my um, support for and commitment to, to gender equity in sport. It's something that I'm genuinely passionate about and, and believe very strongly in. Um, our partnerships um, are reflective of the organisation's commitment to that, and so that's been a a great joy to um, to be part of, but also um, bringing to bear some, hopefully, some of the skills that I've um, acquired through all of those previous roles that I, that I've mentioned. So, sponsorship um, strategy, um, some of the the creative and campaigns and, and comms, and also the the commercial side of things, um, making sure that uh, at the moment I'm working on negotiating a um, a new agreement with an existing commercial partner and. Um, I might talk a bit more about that later, but that's just an example of the type of work that I've been able to do. Um, and it's, sport is what Deacon's best at and what it's um, most famous for. And it's been an enjoyable four and a half years working with some some brilliant academics who are genuine experts in, in their area. Amazing. I reckon most people would be happy to do any one of those things in, the, in their <laughs> yeah. lifetime. I think what, one thing that stands out is that um, very early on, you had that option to go down the management consulting path. And as you say, you know, the partners are probably laying out a plan for you to become a partner in 20 yeah. odd years as well. Don't go anywhere. You've got everything you need right here. Um, but you've been courageous enough to follow what you genuinely care about and have made an impact on, on at every single stage, which mm. is a great example for, for people to follow, I think. Thanks. Yeah, I, I, it's difficult. I, I think you have to, well, sorry, you don't have to, but I think one real option in life is to, um, is to follow your passion and to try to try to make a difference in, in areas that you genuinely care about and, and we might talk a bit more about the sports industry in, in that context mm-hmm. later on. But yeah, there was a there was a fairly standard pathway available to me, and I I, I think I was I, I'm told I was reasonably good at, at that job, and there were, the prospects were, were were pretty were pretty strong. Um, but it it wasn't probably floating my boat as much as I would like. And also, it's nice to sleep in your own bed once in a yeah. while. You know? <laughs> yeah. I had enough of um, trains to Newcastle at. 5.30 in the morning on a Monday um, oh. and, and coming back on Friday afternoon or whatever and, you know, just being home at weekends. And mm. it's a, it's a, it can be a tough life. It depends on what project you get where. You know, I yeah. also got to work mm. in Singapore. So Yeah, amazing. Exactly. I, I love how you were also able to double participation. I suspect around the same time that you halved your handicap as well. Yeah. So <laughs> some, some good impacts made at, at Golf Australia. Yeah. But um, I want to dive into um, – Whilst it all sounds amazing and, and, and um, you've done so much in that time, um, I want to ask about a, a period where you're at a bit of a crossroads where your role was made redundant. Um, I'm interested in how did you bounce back and, and navigate that situation? Yeah, it's a, it's a moment in my life that uh, really still um, conjures up it's pretty evocative and I remember it very vividly, not, not just because of um, my role being made redundant, but the, some of the circumstances that, that surrounded it. So, um, you know, I was um, working for an agency and, and, and loving working there and, and going really well. And, you know, just been paid performance bonus and um, the organization was sponsoring my permanent residency and 
always great with the world. You know, I've been in Australia for a couple of years and just just loving life. And and some some circumstances in the in the sports industry and some ownership changes at that organisation meant that a bunch of roles were, were made redundant. Um, and so uh, in in a, in a heartbeat, I'd sort of gone from you know, life couldn't be better to, um, well, at the same time, I actually really hurt my back as well. So uh, <laughs> my role was made redundant. Um, my, my back was was um, not in a great spot, shall we say, for podcast years. Um, <laughs> too much and, golf. Yeah, it was actually too much running at the time, but that's, a, that's another story. Um, yeah, so my back was in a bad way. I'd, I'd, I'd lost my job effectively. And um, because I was uh, on a 457 visa at the time, I, I only had 90 days to find a new role. Otherwise, I would have had to go back to the UK. Mm. Um, and uh, let's just say I diplomatically would prefer to have stayed in Australia. <laughs> yeah. and, and the UK wasn't hugely attractive to me at the time and even less so these days. Um, so it was one of those situations where you can either let it, overcome you and you can just sort of curl up in a ball or you can um what's the saying just make your bed and get up and deal with what's in front of you and um i'm pretty proud of the way i bounced back from from that experience it was it was heartbreaking genuinely heartbreaking <laughs> um and also it was a difficult time you know physically and and mentally um to get through um I, i'm lucky that uh the, the right role popped up and i was um i, I managed to interview well and i, I found a I found somebody actually who'd, I think the person that recruited me had actually not, not too, um, was not too far out of a similar experience himself and was building a team. And so he saw, I think he saw a little bit of his experience in me, mm. um, but also I'm lucky enough that he, he sort of recognized hopefully my, my <laughs> skills and capabilities and, and, and wanted to, um, and wanted to employ me. So I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to Michael, but he knows that. Um, and yeah, I've tried not to, to look back since, but it, yeah, th those experiences can can make or break you. And look at life would have been fine if I'd had to go back to the UK. I, I, I would have managed, and you know I'm in a privileged position in in, in my life, and um, I wouldn't like to kind of paint it as the most difficult thing anybody's ever experienced. But yeah, when you've lost your job, it looks like you've got to go back to you know a country that you've deliberately moved away from, <laughs> um, and your back's not very good. It it, <laughs> it 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 does feel a bit like a, a cluster. You know what? So you know. yeah. Yeah, no, totally fair, totally fair. You don't want to feel like you've got to take your medicine and, and tar between the legs and, and go home. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I think it could enough. have felt like that, yeah. yeah. I mean, that would have been a separate thing to, to get over. But um, but actually, I, I think people are pretty kind in general and people don't that, – that, that's the kind of thing you can project onto other people and actually yeah. they rarely – think that way you're probably thinking about it but Co no one else is correct yeah it, and it's the age old you know you, you worry much less about what people thought of you if you if you realize yeah. how how rarely they do yes yeah totally, <laughs> Absolutely. totally. but that, that that 90 days is a real burning pressure like a real sense mm. of urgency to actually do something oh it, yeah it, it was exactly that and i don't know if in in hindsight maybe that was a good thing because it mm. it, it crystallized the situation it, it meant there was there was only one way to go with it really it was mm. go all in and try and resurrect the, the life that i'd spent a couple of years building or um yeah or just to sort of roll over and and play dead and mm. I'm, I'm yeah without overstating it i'm, I'm really proud of the, the fact that i managed to find my way through that and yeah i'm grateful for everything that that's come since then mm. um so d despite that tough period you're able to stay in australia and, and been here for the last 11 years what what have been some of the projects over that time that you've been most proud of across the journey 
I've certainly mentioned one which was was Vision 2025. Um, uh, hat tip to, to Merrily Barnes, who worked at the Sports Commission at the time, for being a great catalyst for that work. Um, but it's not often that you, you do a piece of work and, you know, sort of five years later, six years later, even you, you're sort of still seeing, um, you're still seeing the benefits and you, you see it in the sport that you love and you see yeah. that the experience is starting to change for, for women and girls in, in, in the sport that, you know, I played golf since I was 13. I, I don't want it to be a, um, I don't want it to be patriarchal. I don't want it to be male dominated. I want it to mm. be inclusive and welcoming for, for everybody. And it is more so now than it used to be. It's still got a long way to go. Um, but to have done the work that I did on that, um, yeah, it is a source of pride and mindful of not, not being too proud. It's not a great, not a great feature to have in, <laughs> in our world, but it, you know, if, if pushed, then I'm certainly proud of that. Um, the brand, um, the brand refresh work that, I did at Gemba um, is still in market and still looks great in my in my opinion. So um, great yeah. logo, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it, it's very simple the way that um, it's presented. That um, it, it doesn't waste any words. That you know, sport full stop, entertainment full stop. Like that's what we're about. Or at yeah. the time we, you know, that's what that's what the organisation is about, and it's authoritative, which is um, what the organisation seeks to be. Um, so I'm really proud of of that work. The other one that I'm really proud of is the small part that I played in getting the Deacon Melbourne Boomers um, documentary over the line. So again, my role is um, small, but hopefully significant. Christy Collier-Hill, um, who's now head of the WNBL, was the driving force behind it. But um, I think I played a, you know, a role in helping Christy to shape the thinking um, and was able to provide some funding via Deacon to make that happen and was involved in some early um, sort of producer meetings to shape what that could look like. Um, and for those of you that haven't seen it, it's called Sidelined, um, the battle for equality in women's basketball. Uh, it's a superb piece of um, piece of content. It's for sort of 45, 50 minute eps. It's available on SBS On Demand. It tackles issues of... Um, racism it tackles issues around gender inequality um and it gets behind the scenes in a way that very few sports documentaries have done um and uh, it's reflective of the trust that adam mckay built with the team um and also reflective of um, a superb group of human beings that were part of that team that won the championship in 2021-22 um coming out of covid and and dealing with uh, all sorts and it also um, tells the story of, of Carly Ernst who came back into the WNBL four months after having her baby um, and uh, shot a lot of three-pointers and played a, an important role in um, in that championship win so Adam McKay is the man that, that did all the real work um, but I, I think um, you know the little part that I played in helping to get that off the ground and to help shape the thinking and and some of the the likely narrative that would emerge during the season is is something that um yeah it, it's pretty cool when you see something you've you've seen and been part of from inception actually on your screens and yeah. you, you sort of you know the guy that's done it and you know how hard he's worked and and how brilliant he is at his craft and and Adam deserves a hundred times as many people to have seen that documentary and it's a shame that. Um, it's so difficult to make money in sports content at the moment outside of the the absolutely top sports um and that 
we're trying to cut through in a world where there's so much content because you know i'm clearly i'm slightly biased but that is it's a stupendous piece of work and it, it really will stand the test of time in my view Mm. And, and the boomers with things like these pieces of work um you know, it starts to gather momentum around the team and ryan and i went to a game recently and the, you go into the atmosphere there and people absolutely go nuts for the team it's yeah. it's incredible when you walk into that yeah. tight stadium and the activations that they've got with the kids on the court and um what is his name the dragons conga line oh, yeah God, yes yeah <laughs> yeah there's there's a bunch of um you know, a bunch of activation there that's that's kind of unique but works for the audience mm. um wouldn't necessarily come out of a, of a big sort of creative <laughs> yeah. agency or anything like that but it, but it's um it's part of the family experience and yeah to your point uh, again mostly through the work that adam's done from a, a marketing and digital content perspective the last the last sort of 12 to 18 months they've transformed the club i think in terms of its external perceptions and and the the way that the fans engage um the demand for tickets the atmosphere at games and they've, they've really set the bar for the wmbl as a whole and, and arguably for um for um a whole bigger set of sporting leagues than um than that i, I think it's Adams to be hugely commended for it and as you say it is a great experience going to watch them and you know it's one of the top three or four leagues in the world and you see a bunch of players who are going to play and, and probably dominate in the in the WNBA very soon mm. um, and seeing someone like Kayla George um, return to the WNBA after five years out is testament to the quality of the WNBL and and also um, you know her longevity and, and quality so yeah it's a good league it's, it's really enjoyable to watch um, there's as ever there's some um, some broadcast challenges uh, that um, need to be resolved and, and Christie's got that to, to try and improve but it's it's a it's a fantastic product and uh, hopefully it will go hopefully it will go from strength to strength because participation in basketball mm. is certainly going through the roof at the moment yeah very good now this is going to sound like a very uh, uh, self-centered or question <laughs> but um, we do have a bunch of members and listeners who are becoming commercial curious so to say um, they're starting to dip into the world of sports business and look at the big partnerships in sport uh, and then they look back at sports grad and they look at the partnership that we have deacon and they ask what is that how did it come about so on behalf of of those guys <laughs> you are you're the person who is a reason why deacon and sports grad have the partnership that we do so um from your perspective um firstly how did you come across the podcast and, and what benefit did you see in it for deacon university yeah, uh, this isn't a plant question, um, <laughs> but un unfortunately, the, I have to give Ruben the answer that he wants, which is I saw it on LinkedIn, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I genuinely yes, did. Yes, um, that's brilliant. So um, I watched uh, some of the early posts and saw the work you were doing. Had a look at who you were and where you come from, and and. Uh, had tried to understand what it was before I called you and I, I think I literally just phoned you and said hey I'm Danny I work at Deakin I'm really interested in what you're doing can we talk about you know some some opportunities that might exist for us to to get involved in in the podcast so um, look I think there's probably a few um, a few elements to it the the first one is that um, you know and, and Professor David Chilbury, who, who heads up the Deakin Sport Network, would would probably emphasise you know, this element. We we wanted to support you. You know, there were, you're a Deakin alum. You you were doing great work, and and there was an element of uh, this guy deserves some support. He's doing some um, some excellent work, and it, it's highly relevant to to us and the uh, the key messages and the image that we want to present to the world. So there was a small part of that, um, but more importantly. Uh, I think there was a there's a shared insight there, which is um, 
passion for sport it does not equal an understanding of what the industry is what it has to offer um, or what the roles might be now or in the future so we felt that you were genuinely addressing a gap in the market and also addressing um, a gap that certainly would many people would perceive that 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 universities aren't as good as they could be at the employability side, the practical real world stuff, if you like. And you were delving into that in depth and you were having the right conversations that would help to power the next generation of of sport leaders, which is what we're all about. Um, The other dimension to it is is the audience, which is, um, you know, we would like your audience to think that um, Deakin is a good place to help them take the next step in their in their sport industry journey. So you've got a bunch of people who've already graduated who might want to do a master's course to help them el- help elevate their careers to, to the next level, for example. Um, so that's a part of it as well. But it's um, it's not purely a um, a recruitment piece. It, it's as much of a um, a positioning piece as anything else. So it's not there's no one simple answer to it. It's a combination of factors. The one thing I would say is, um, you know, from a personal point of view, I still think it's exactly the right place for us to be. We're really proud of um, the work that you guys are doing. We're proud to be part of it, um, and we know that it's it's making a difference to um, the sport industry because people are. Um, finding jobs and um, hitting the ground running and understanding the industry better than they have done previously. And so that's a great thing for Deakin to be part of. Amazing. And it opens up some really fun and just interesting opportunities for us as well at Deakin University to come in and chat. So it's to feel quite integrated in what's going on there has been a joy to, to be a part of let alone the fact that, you know, without that sponsorship in the early days, we literally wouldn't be here. So yeah. <laughs> I think that's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. So um, like you were spot, you came to us when we were literally recording in our bedrooms. And now this is obviously not our bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not. Otherwise yeah. I've stumbled into the wrong place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but without that support, you know, we, we don't elevate from outside of the, the Zoom sessions from our, from our homes into a proper studio. So... We have super appreciated it um, and it's been a lot of fun as well getting into campus yeah. when we can. Yeah, I've kind of felt like uh, – because I, I didn't go to Deakin. I think most people know that, but I, st- I feel like I did. <laughs> like, <laughs> is that weird to say? Like I feel like I taught at Deakin, I go to Deakin all the time. And no, it, you can keep going. It's that's fine. Yeah. We, can, we can cut this up. And yeah. Some, yeah. <laughs> but that's been the super, the super fun thing for me as well because, you know, Ruse is obviously very well-versed with how Deakin runs, but – I've kind of been brought into the tent, which has been really enjoyable for me. And you kind of feel like one of the students when you go there and you meet everybody and and whatnot. So what people I think don't understand is um, that sport means such different things to different people within our organisation. You know, we've got 250 elite athletes studying with us who are balancing their sporting careers with their studies. We've got all of our sports facilities. We've got all of our um, you know, DUSA clubs that, that compete and we've got Deacon Active, all of the gyms um, and physical activity facilities, plus all of our, our partnerships, our women in sport and exercise group of academics, the Deacon Sport Network more broadly. Um, and it, it is a multifaceted thing and, and sport to any individual at Deakin has a certain set of um, connotations, but they're, they're different for, for different stakeholders. So a view on... Um, 
health and physical activity that, that sits in in our Institute of Physical Activity and Nutrition is, is different from our sports science team who think mm. about it in a completely different way. And it, it means different things to a, you know, a sport management professor who, you know, is, is helping to people to understand the difference between grassroots and pathways and participation yeah. and, and elite sport. So it, it's important, I think, um, for, for people who are interested in sport to, to understand all those different dimensions and, and not just want to work in sport. Which bit of sport do you want to work in? Mm. What, what is it that you, you want to do in sport and what difference do you, do you want to make? Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, so it's been two years. We're into a third, which is very exciting. Um, has, it, has it made a difference to the university and, and what's been that impact in your perspective? Yeah, look, attributability for, is a really difficult one when it comes to, to sponsorships. And, um, you know, we, this, isn't, this isn't a, I don't think it would be a surprise to anyone to know that, you know, we're not spending millions on this sponsorship. So, what? Oh, what? <laughs> what <do you> mean? <laughs> so you, I thought you said, I thought you said a million dollars for the third year. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> but I, I think that means the, the amount that you spend on measurement is generally commensurate with the amount that you're spending on, um, on the sponsorship. So uh, I think this one, um, has to be about um, as much as anything about just understanding the the level of um, engagement, um, listenership, um, and the impact that it's having on people's job opportunities and their understanding of the sports industry. Um, yet, yes, we want uh, we want as many Deakin students as possible to be benefiting from that, but but also a, a better, healthier, um, stronger sport industry is ultimately better for the leaders in sport education right so mm. if if we're doing a good job of creating a um and improving the sports industry and and getting more and better people into it um then that's a good thing for for us in the long term as well so i, I guess the simple answer is i'm confident it is could i point to anything other than the, the numbers that you would would um, provide us in terms of you know uh, jobs through sports grad and and listenership and, and engagement on on socials no but i'm comfortable with that i don't want to spend you know tens of thousands of dollars trying to prove that um a relatively small sponsorship is <laughs> is, is a good addition to our portfolio it, mm. it undoubtedly is um i'm really really happy with all the work that, that we've done together and this year particularly loving some of the um the ways in which we're presenting content and I'm at risk of being a boomer in this space, but, um, but the, the shorter form, slightly more raw content that helps people to, um, to really get a sense of the industry and that cuts through that sort of, um, you know, the challenges of the attention economy that, that we're dealing with. Um, and that's really engaging for your audience. So yeah, mm. it's, it unfortunately won't be my decision how long this, this partnership runs, but, um, you should certainly be proud of all the work you've done. And, and it absolutely has been a great addition to, mm. to the Deakin portfolio. Mm. Don't worry. You don't sound like a boomer at all. We had Brian <laughs> Taylor come in here and he was trying to say the word Instagram. And instead he said, online processes. <laughs> we were like, are you talking about Instagram? He goes, yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's the one. So, I, yeah, um, I can probably beat that, but there's, uh, yeah, there's definitely a risk of Online processes. Yeah. <laughs> but we, we were literally chatting the other day about, you know, what's the impact that sports grad creates? And, you know, we, we see it very similar. We're, we're trying to help the people who are powering sport. And if you, you can lift up the people powering sport, then sport has the influence on the rest of the world. And so, I think that's why it's such a good fit because you guys ultimately have that same sort of purpose as well. So, Absolutely. Um, and, and as I'm sort of 
on my way out the door you know i could i can <laughs> say things like i think deacon should should lean more into the things that it's best at and famous for you know the university sector is is in australia is probably not um not always as good at that sort of differentiation as it, as it could be that there's there's a lot of um institutions that can mm. can look and feel quite similar and and i i think as a as a marketer i think you know what we're best at and and, and most famous for and, and um you know where we're making the biggest difference is something that we should continue to lean into and, and i think obviously i'm biased but i think m- more so brilliant um dan you've been around strategy development for a long long time i believe this is probably something you developed back in your early consulting years but um we'd love you to uh teach us a little about the concept of pyramid thinking for those who have never heard of it before, what does it involve and, and how do you use it? Uh, yeah, Barbara Minto would be probably a bit annoyed about me claiming <laughs> to have developed it. but um, You came yeah, up with it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I wish I'd be a lot richer than I am. But, um, but Pyramid Thinking is um, was developed by Barbara Minto and there's a book of the same name that you can you can grab and I'd, I'd highly recommend it. I'd, I don't think I can squeeze in a, a training session into a small <laughs> section of a, a podcast, but it is a wonderful tool. It at PA Consulting, where I spent the first six years of my career, um, it was known as top-down thinking. Um, and it was really the shared language. It, it shaped everything we did from client presentations to websites to emails. Essentially, it's about structuring your ideas, understanding your audience, and making your arguments really compelling. So I'd recommend um, Barbara Minto's book to everyone. Um, the, the build for me on that has always been um, this sort of concept of um, of logos, ethos, pathos. Mm. So, um, in terms of the way that people present, the, the ones who are most memorable have um, you know impeccable logic and brilliantly structured arguments. So that's the logos piece. Um, ethos is about the if literally it means ethics, but the um, the strength of your character and how believable and trustworthy you are. So that's the ethos piece. So logos, ethos, and then the the final piece of that is pathos, which is is passion, right? So bringing through. Don't be afraid to show that you're passionate about what you're talking about in your in your working life. And a number of I'm really grateful. The number of people have who've sort of said nice things to me as I've been on my way out of the door this this week. A lot of people have said thank you for your passion and thank you for for genuinely caring. And that. That means as much to me as anything, right? But but the main point there is, if you want to deliver brilliant presentations or um, brilliant uh, speeches or whatever it might be, you need to check those three boxes: so logos, ethos, pathos. And the the top down thinking really, uh, or pyramid thinking, kind of fits into that logos piece. So that is how do you structure an argument? How do you come up with a, a really singular, compelling? governing thought and how do you organize your your ideas underneath that so that kind of everything's in the right place is literally literally think of it as a pyramid and at its most straightforward it's like if somebody gave you 25 things to remember it's hard to remember 25 things but if you group them up into themes mm. and then put some kind of governing thought mm. sorry some kind of governing thought over the top of that that explains what those three things are you all of a sudden your brain's going to start to remember stuff better so you'll always know someone that's um, trained in top down thinking um because they'll probably try and tell you three things and at the end they'll tell you the three things that they told you (laughs) i have heard that before it's like if you're structuring a speech put into three parts at the start tell them what you can tell them tell them and then tell them what you told them correct (laughs) and and that's a a big part of of top-down thinking and the the way that it flowed through in um a pa would be you know that it, it was a great way to challenge people's communications via a shared framework so rather than I don't like that or I think you should do it like this. It would be 
can you just cl- clarify for me what your governing thought here is? Mm. Um, or what's the complication? Or are you mm. sure? Are you sure that's part of the situation? Or can you tell me what your key line is here? Right. So just shared framework gives you the ability to have um, non-confrontational feedback conversations based yeah. on a shared belief around how you're going to deliver great quality communications, and that takes the sting out of stuff a lot as well mm. um, and takes opinion out of things to some degree mm. if, you, if you're both trying to get to the same place and you're trying to um, deliver on a I suppose a, a fundamental of the organizational culture yeah kind of sounds like you know if you were to put into the context of a, of a plumber and he's trying to find a leak in a pipe and he's tapping different parts of the pipe until he eventually finds a part that's broken it kind of sounds like that allows you to find out where different bits are broken yeah, it, it could be a little bit like that. Some of some of it depends on um, whether you're trying to um, deliver a, a message that that prompts a how or a why question. Mm. So if you're trying to explain something, if you're trying to convince somebody of, of a particular argument, um, you might want to get to a, um, a, a governing thought that prompts a why question, and that gives you a key line that's three big pillars of your argument that says why because a b and c and then you've got mm. the, the detail under each of those yeah. whereas it, sometimes it's a it's a how question so how do i you know how, if it's going to if you can have an argument around or if you're trying to construct an argument around how to fix something you might say um the way the, the best way to um, to fix your pipe is is x and, and the, the implied question is kind of is all right tell me how do i mm. actually do that right and you you can actually then lay out the argument underneath that so that, that's not a great analogy but <laughs> But the, the the point is, um, you know, just to reiterate, it's kind of really getting into the, the hearts and minds of your audience. So you're presenting it in a way that is respectful of the position that they're starting from. It's about, you know, compelling arguments and it's about structuring your ideas. Mm. Um, and I've found it, it, it becomes my reference point. If I'm struggling and I've got a whole bunch of stuff floating around in my head, um, sometimes the best way for me to work out what I'm doing will be to start from, okay, what's the question in the mind of the reader? Mm write down a whole bunch of stuff that's just the current situation and then try to find something that feels like a, a burning platform or, or a complication that get gets me to a point where I can say, okay, that's what I'm trying to say. Because mm. you, you, you'll all have yeah. read emails that could go on for seven paragraphs until they get to the point that you, they actually want to make. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's why all my emails have got bullet points in them because it, uh, yeah. it's yes. very rare that I write paragraphs it's normally yeah. i want this this is the message and these are the reasons or this is the message and and this is the um you know the supporting evidence or whatever so. yeah they are much easier emails to receive they've got bullet yeah. points it's like oh good i know this is gonna be simple it's ne- like, never like, read a, uh, a danny email and think oh this is so long sometimes they get long but hopefully they're still um they're still clear and that's the i think that's the most important thing is to you know make sure that you, you you're being really clear with your comms and what i would say is you know at pa it was very much part of the culture and it was quite rigorous and and it was almost at times a battle of, you know, who's applying this to the best degree. Yeah. I don't think you need to go to that degree. Mm-hmm. If you're just having a think about structuring your argument really well and putting making the main thing the main thing, mm, like yeah. it sounds really simple, but sometimes it gets hidden in the detail. It's actually, oh, yeah. that's what you were trying to say. Why didn't you just put that at the top? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, brilliant. That's, that's super interesting. We'll have to, um, can you listen to that back? And, uh, and look at some of that. It, it probably needs to be structured better. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah did you go with the pyramids, Ken? <laughs> no, I too, I, I've already forgotten enough questions. Yeah. For today. <laughs> um, 
can it touch on like you and your your routines and, and how you go about your your work essentially are there any sort of routines and habits that you really build into your your day yeah i was thinking about this question you were kind enough to give it to me in advance <laughs> yeah. um look one of the one of the bad things uh, in life is is caring too much about what other people think of you but um i'm a little bit prone to that and i use it to my advantage in my work i think in the sense that um my it matters to me what people think professionally it matters to me that they think i'm that they think i'm conscientious that i'm smart that i'm thoughtful that i care um and and that i add value to the the um, organizations and and partnerships that, that i work on so that i think reflecting on the pandemic is something that that really kept me going i didn't there was plenty of there were plenty of excuses that you could make around not working as hard or not mm. contributing and there were times when you know when sport had stopped for example when it was really unclear what the hell i should be doing like i had to work that out for myself and suggest the best ways to add value i wrote a whole bunch of articles at the time that sit on um our content hub at deacon or focused on sport which helped me to feel like i could still drive some engagement with with deacon and, and position us around sport even when there was nothing happening on the field of play so I, I don't think i have too many rigid kind of habits or other than i am very disciplined with my exercise um my mental health requires it um so I'm very disciplined. Um, I'm always I, I exercise at least sort of probably four or five times a week as a minimum, um, and you know, I still miss running terribly. But I professionally I don't have too many sort of rigid habits, other than just a sense that if you keep your own standards high, if the if the driver in my case happens to be caring far too much what people think of me, yeah. um, use that I use that to my advantage. I think and and try to make sure that. Um, I keep my standards high because no one else is is gonna, um, no one else can enforce your own standards. Yeah, that, that's the that's the thing that you're in control of. I think mm. Mm. it's a great motivator to do good work. I think. It, it is. It, yeah. It's not. I don't. I genuinely don't think it's the right motivator, and mm. I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to others. But I'm, you know, <clears throat> years old now, and I mm. don't know that I can. <laughs> I, I don't know that I can change that too much. I, I, I'm mindful of it, and I try mm. not to get too caught up in it. But um, yeah, my own standards are um, in part driven mm. by a, a, a care factor about mm. my mm. my reputation and um, professionally, and, and that's why I suppose this week's been kind of heartwarming for me because some of the you know messages that people put on my LinkedIn page and um, some of the things that people have said to me have been. Um, just what I would want to hear and I would want to be known for those things. So. And just out of interest, are you a morning or evening exerciser? Morning, always, yeah, mm. morning. Um, When's the alarm going <laughs> off in the morning? Oh, well, all our stuff is um, in a shipping container at the moment. So oh. even oh. even my uh, even my Zwift uh, oh, no. is not available. So uh, 6.15 spin classes at the moment. So the, yeah. the alarm's going off about 5.20, 5.30, something like that. Um, yeah, it's that which isn't popular, but I, as I said, I, I although the, the cat alarm goes off about 10, yeah. 10 minutes before that, anyway. So, um, yeah, I, I do my exercise in the morning, and I, you know, for a long time, I, I ran a lot, and I think Ruben's got about 
15 seconds on me over the half marathon but um, I'd love to see you guys go head to head yeah so, so would I because it may not be able to run properly again, but, um, but no it was pretty cool actually um, hearing from Ruben when he, he managed to, to break that 84 minute barrier for the for the half it's a it's a it's a big one and I remember how it felt it, um, personally as well so I used to even on a standard morning I would run sort of 10ks before work um, and I'd you know at my peak I was running sort of 70 or 80ks and you know, ran Melbourne Marathon and sort of really enjoy it. I just loved my running and it was an amazing way to to explore a new city as well. Like yeah. I got to know Melbourne through um through my rec running group and um and some running for South Melbourne and um in its XCR so sorry Athletics Victoria's SCR XCR series. Um that was you know an amazing way to get to know a new city and I mm. saw bits of um, Melbourne that I wouldn't have done otherwise. So yeah, I'm a morning person and that was the longest <laughs> answer in the history of the world. <laughs> no, no. I love hearing that. So we love yeah. Yeah. Um What's next for you? You move it to Singapore. It's a bit hot over there. How are you going to exercise? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it'll be. Um, well, I'm, God, I'm going to be in the pool. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to find a way to say that without sounding like a you know what. Um, yeah, a, a bit of swimming. Uh, Zwift has been my thing since I sort of had to stop running. So I tore my cartilage playing football when I was 20, and my knee's done really, really well for me. But uh, I'm told that it's probably got limited mileage left so i still run occasionally but yeah. only for um yeah only when i sort of separated from other forms of exercise so it'll be it'll be zwift and um probably a bit of swimming and i, I go to the gym not that you can tell but <laughs> um, <laughs> that's the uh that'll be my my fitness regime and yeah um I, I don't think it's the worst place to be a bit vulnerable on, on things you know my mental health re does require me to to exercise and eat, and eat well and um and, and that's what i do and and that's uh something that i've sort of embedded in my life for the last probably dozen years and it, it's made a, a massive difference mm. um although i do miss having the odd cigarette <laughs> <laughs> all the way back at st andrew's college I'm sure. yeah <laughs> yeah is, is that st andrew's uh, i've been thinking about it and ticking over my head is, is that for an hour the golf course <laughs> yes yeah so oh. um yeah, University of St Andrews is um, is literally in the town of St Andrews, so yep. it's not like a campus university. All the um, all the uh, buildings are very much part of the town. So there's a a quad, a bit like um, you know, sort of the, the Oxbridge style. It's actually in a couple of the rankings. It's it's sort of number one and I think number two, or in in two of the different major rankings for for UK universities at the well, moment. That, that explains how you turned out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's certainly not known for for me going there. It's it's known as being the the home of golf and and also for for Prince William attending there. So that's that's what it's famous for. You know, for for a bunch of years there it was sort of the, the news was sort of you know a couple that met in st andrews you know having a baby or getting married and i'm just like that's just my facebook feed normally you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um but, but yeah they i've got a little bit more hair than than prince william maybe not too much but he is actually younger than me so no <laughs> no very good well we know where to go if we ever want to round at uh st andrews <laughs> so I might get in touch with you um Last question, and that's um, what's some final advice for, for people wanting to progress in the sports industry? Uh, I'll probably touch on a couple of things that we've 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 slightly referenced. You know, sport is big; it's varied, it's nuanced, and it means different things to different people. So, I think it's really important to find what you're passionate about. So, is that you know to be highly commercial and be a revenue generator so that you can help a sport that you love um, with 
the money, uh, the influence that money can create in terms of driving participation, whatever. Is it about helping athletes to, to be the best that they can be as athletes and as human beings? Um, is it about, you know, creating a healthier, more active community, country, world? Is it about delivering incredible fan experiences? Is it about using sport as a, a catalyst for social change? Like, there's no right answer to that. You've got to find it in yourself. Um, and look, the, the other thing I, I, I feel like I should say, just because of my own perspective on, on sport, like sport can be an incredible force for, for good in the world. But, but the flip side of that is it's, it's being used um, in some pretty nefarious ways by some pretty ordinary regimes in a you know, very politicized kind of nationalistic and individualistic world that we, we start to feel more and more. Um, so for me, it's not sport at any cost it's sport in the right areas and in the right ways there are big parts of the sport industry that i would just rather not be part of and i was asked that in a in a conversation um sort of relating to what i might do in in singapore recently and someone said is there any is there anywhere you wouldn't work or anybody that you wouldn't work for and i gave them an answer and, and i had a I had a view on that um my view isn't everybody's and, and everybody's entitled to their opinions on it but um I think sometimes there's just a, an assumption that because it's sport, it's good. And I, I don't agree with that. Mm. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably the most philosophic final answer we've yeah. ever had to that question, which is, which is amazing. Because I think um, uh, a lot of people who would have got to this stage would have would be able to feel the overwhelming sense of passion that you have for, for what you do and genuine care that you have for what you do. And I think for those people who are just starting off their career, you're a great example of how far that can take you and to enjoy a long career at the same time if you, if you follow that as well. So, Danny, thank you very much for, for coming in here. Um, I know we certainly wouldn't have made it to this place without your initial support. And um, it's been such a joy to work with you over the last couple of years. We're very sad to see you go. Um, I can still vividly remember having coffee in South Yarra with you and you saying, we want to give you a little podcast, a bit of injection to help it going. And, and here we are three years later. Um, so to uh, be where we are now is largely thank you to you. So thank you so much for your support. You've given Ryan and I a livelihood that we absolutely love or kickstarted the livelihood that we, we have now. And there's a community that's grown off the back of this podcast of uh, over 500 people who have reached, you know, gone out to achieve 300 plus jobs in the industry. And um, yeah, the impact of everything we do would probably never have got to where it is without that initial support. And that's because of you. So thank you very much for, for coming in. I don't know what to say to that. More more the way that you said it than anything else. Um, I'm genuinely touched by that. Thank you. Um, it, honestly, if it hadn't been me, it would have been someone else. What you're doing is fundamentally good and um, addresses an important gap and is is making a huge difference to the industry. So if it hadn't been me and Deacon, it would have been someone else and a, and a, and a, a different brand in a different industry or someone else from within the education sector. So um, I'm glad that we got there first, and I'm, <laughs> and I'm really um, glad to be part. Glad that Deacon's been been part of this this journey 
the podcast is obviously only one component of what you're doing now um and i wish you both all the very best with it and i shall probably listen to a bunch more but maybe not this one <laughs> <laughs> i don't think i get emotional but um no that, that took me that, <laughs> that took me by surprise um, first tier on the podcast probably yeah. <laughs> that's brilliant <laughs> That's, that's yes, genuinely. <laughs> I'm a bit lost for words on that one. This is what happens, Danny, when you come in. When you're finally on, it brings tears out. So. I was like, I, I want to say something nice, but I didn't think that would happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, you, you, you're the editorial team. You can work out whether yeah. it's basic or not. Yeah, yeah. Edit the footage. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Guys, it's time now for the People's Segment, Ask Sportsgrad, where every week we answer a question from the Sportsgrad community. If you'd like to ask a question first, become a Sportsgrad member at sportsgrad.com.au slash community, and then you can add your question to the channel named Ask Sportsgrad. Rubes, this one comes from Jake. This is, how do I change industry or department? Mm, great question. A simple but good question. Yes, and a lot of people out there looking to make the change into sports. So uh, listen up if this is you. Um, uh, but firstly, one, one problem that people usually face when trying to make a change, particularly in industry change, is that they focus on their industry experience rather than their skills. So, for example, if you're coming from engineering into sport, mm. some people say, well, I've only got engineering experience, therefore I've got nothing to offer sport. That's yep. completely false. What you need to do is focus on the skills because the skills that you've used in engineering can help you in sport. So there's probably four steps to this. The first one is to actually identify your skills. So if your experience is only in engineering, literally go through and just dot point all the different skills that you possess. It could be communication, could be problem solving, could be project management, could be anything. Go through and make a list of all the skills that you that you possess. Next thing you want to do is identify the skills of the job that you want to go for and make a list of all them. And so now you're looking at a page that's got your skills and the skills of the job that you want. Then you simply just want to connect the dots. And if you want to draw this out, like literally, like you know those old games in primary school where you like have to draw a line between the words that match? Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> you can literally do that to be like, all right, now I can see in front of me how my skills match the skills in mm. another industry or in another job. So you want to try and find the commonalities between uh, your current role and the role that you really want. Then <clears throat> once you've found, all right, you've got eight skills, the job has got eight skills and you've got four in the middle that match, you want to focus on those four skills that match and uh, articulate your value. So flesh out those four skills into a STAR response. STAR stands for Situation, Task, Action, Result and start to practice how you can tell a really compelling example of where you've demonstrated that skill before, such as yeah. where have you used communication effectively, where have you used project management really effectively. Um, and so that way the people who are in the sports industry or you know hiring for that new role that you want they can clearly see how your skills could be effective in their new environment. So at the end of the day, when you're trying to sell yourself into a new role, new industry, new department, at the end of the day, it's just a test of your self-awareness. And what you want to mm -hmm. do is you want to get to a point where you know your career so well that when a role pops up, you can easily identify how your skills can enhance the role. So focus on the skills and do a bit of matchmaking. <laughs> 
Yeah, love it. I always get the question from people who, for example, they want to get into partnerships, but they've only ever worked in, you know, completely different areas, you know, and, and at the end of the day, it's like, well, can you build relationships or have you built relationships mm. over the years? Have you completed a project? Like, mm. like they're all transferable skills to, to what you'd be doing in partnerships. So, mm. yes, I don't have partnerships experience, but that's okay because there's so many skills that you've done in your job mm. that relate directly to it. So yep. don't just think about it as your, your title and mm. that experience. There's there's so many other things you can add. Yeah, 100%. And if you want an example of someone who's done this really, really well, go back to episode 171 with David Priles, who is a CEO of mm. Hockey Australia. He spent 15 years as an investment banker, then tried to change into sport, got rejected several times before he got an in as a commercial development manager at Cricket Victoria. And the way he does the, did this, as he says in his episode, is he presented to them uh, a list of his networks because his, his network was incredibly important and valuable mm-hmm. and his transferable skills. And he put that into a document that they didn't ask for, which helped him stand out. Yeah. So he's a real-life example of someone who's done it to get in and then has excelled to CEO level once he got there. Absolute legend, David Priles is as well. So definitely have a look at that. If you'd like to ask a question or ask our friends in sport a question, just sign up and become a Sports Grab member. Each week we jump on a Q&A where it's an open floor for you to ask us or industry professionals any of your questions. This Wednesday, we've got a speed networking night coming up. So if you want to meet a few other people in sport, uh, feel free to come along and get involved in that one. All these sessions are recorded as well. So when you access our community you get over 50 hours of content ready and raring to go just for you find us on linkedin plus give us some love or a rating if you enjoy the show subscribe on apple or follow on spotify thanks for listening we'll see you next time hey guys one last thing before you go if you'd enjoy a quick email from us each friday on all the latest job openings networking events q a's with industry professionals and latest podcast episodes then subscribe to the SportsGrad newsletter. Head to our website, www.sportsgrad.com.au forward slash newsletter to subscribe. There's also a link in our show notes to join.